Hello, I'm Pastor Marshall Oaks, and I'm the lead pastor at Red Hills Church in Tallahassee, Florida. And you're about to listen to a message from our Sunday morning gathering. If you enjoy what you hear, please leave us some feedback on iTunes. And if you really like what God is doing at our church, consider supporting the ministry work at redhillschurch.com give. Thanks, and now for some Bible teaching. Okay, so we're working our way through the book of Revelation. The book begins with Jesus exercising his authority over creation. And then creation responds by rejecting his authority. Uh, And what happens when Jesus exercises his authority by ascending to heaven and taking his seat in the throne room of God um, and becoming uh, Yahweh giving him, the the Father giving him all authority over the nations, the nations begin to rebel even more so than they ever have against God because they don't want the lamb to rule them. They don't want the lamb's ways. They want violence. They don't want peace. They don't want sacrifice. They want war. And so what the lamb does is he exercises his authority over the nations. The nations rebel against that authority, and we see uh, these series of consequences over the earth. So as Jesus says, I'm in charge, the nations say, no, you're not. That clash creates consequences here on earth. Um, The consequences being in the form of uh, these, uh, we saw them last week, uh, seven seals. But it doesn't just end there. There aren't just these seven seals that show us consequences of the earth rejecting the lamb's authority. It progressively gets worse. And today is when it's gonna start getting worse. And today is, I'm I'm not kidding, it's difficult to read, it's hard to swallow. uh, Because what's happening as we progress through the timeline towards the very end before Jesus returns is the nation's increasingly get more rebellious against God. It's not just, I don't really wanna hear what you have to say, it's I don't like what you're gonna have to say and I'm gonna do the actual opposite of that and let's make laws that say the actual opposite of that. Let's, Let's find new and creative ways to throw what you've asked us to do back in your face. It increases in sin throughout time and so what happens is the consequences of the world rejecting the Lamb's authority increase. It starts, and so you'll see this pattern. There are seven seals, seven trumpets, and seven bowls. And these are um, the consequences that are experienced on planet Earth when the nations reject the Lamb's authority. They don't want any part of what God's doing, and that produces these consequences. These consequences are initiated by God because the nations don't want His Son. So we saw the seven seals. They served as these warning signs because the world is rejecting the Lamb. And so, uh, and you kind of fall where you are uh, about, um, you can fall in kind of different places as to where the seals break and where they are in history. Uh, but the seals, whatever, however your view of those are, they are a warning to the nations, it's time to repent. You've got to turn from your sin. When you reject Jesus' authority, it's gonna create famines and wars. Why? Because mankind wants what mankind wants. And when they don't want what Jesus wants, which is peace um, across the whole earth, they want peace their own way, it's gonna create famines and wars and death. And that's what we see in the seven seals. But then it progresses because the nations don't change, they get worse. So then God releases these seven trumpets. 
These seven trumpets are like declarations over the earth of what it looks like for the nations to build their own gods or to trust in their own systems uh, rather than trusting in the systems of the Lamb. So I want you to, in your mind, I want you to think that this book um, has these three groups of seven, and we've talked about the importance of numbers and how seven uh, is this complete and perfection, and three mirrors that too. So what God is saying through this vision to John is that there's gonna be three periods of seven. There's gonna be this perfect um, warning and declaration and judgments over the nations. And at the end of all of this, no one's gonna say, I didn't know there was a God. I didn't know Jesus was the one true God. I didn't know the only way to God was through Jesus. When all this is said and done, no one will have an excuse. Everyone will have officially picked a team and God will cast judgment on the nations for rejecting his son. So you've got the seven seals, the seven trumpets, and the seven bowls. The seven trumpets is where we're gonna focus in today. Those are the declarations of of what happens when the nations reject the lamb uh, and God shows them the end of what they put their trust in. So you, you put your trust in this nation, let me show you what happens when this nation falls. And then the seven bowls, we'll get there in a couple weeks, but those are the final judgments. There's no more warnings, there's no more declarations, everyone's been told what they need to be told, and now God's just gonna pour his wrath out on the nations. So last week, we finished the seventh seal. And the seventh seal was interesting because the seventh seal created this um, silence in heaven for about the span of about half an hour. We talked about what that probably means. And then following that, the seventh seal releases the seven trumpets. And you'll see this pattern revealed. The seventh seal releases the next series of judgments or declarations. So the seventh seal releases the seventh trumpet, seven trumpets. And the seventh trumpet releases the seven bowls. So this pattern is gonna kind of continue that the seventh thing releases the next series of things. But as we, before we get into X, uh, Revelation chapter eight, verse six, and then we're gonna read through nine today, I want you um, thinking, uh, I want you to, to pull something from the, the Old Testament library in your mind, uh, and that is, well, there's kind of two things. One uh, primarily is uh, the plagues on Egypt. And, um, just for some reference point, what took place in the book of Exodus is that God's people, Israel, was in bondage and they were being abused and killed. They were slaves. They cried out to God for salvation and God responded by sending plagues on Egypt. These plagues were designed to demonstrate God's authority over the gods of Egypt and also designed to challenge the people of Egypt. Where does your heart allegiance lie when the things you trust in Egypt fail you? If you're praying to the God of the Nile and all of a sudden the Nile is blood, what does that say about how much trust you can put in your God? Does it produce inside of you a desire to want to start looking at some other God that might be more powerful than the God who has just failed you? That's the point of the plagues. It's to challenge what we as mankind set up as gods. But what has happened as we get towards the end of the the earth, the end times, is that what took place in Egypt has now spread worldwide. Everywhere on planet earth has become like Egypt. 
and mankind has formed their own gods that they give their affection and their devotion and their trust to. And so what God is doing in the seven trumpets is mirroring what took place on Egypt, but on a global scale. That's the first thing I want in your mind. And the second thing I want in your mind is the oracles against the nations from Isaiah. We studied this last year, Isaiah 13 through 23, I think it is. It's the oracles against the nation. And essentially, it's the oracles to the nations, but they're directed in a subtle way to Israel. Israel, God's people. Why would you trust in the swords and the chariots of this nation when this nation is under God's judgment? If God is going to curse this nation and they're under judgment, then why in the world would you put your trust in them when they're going to fall? Those are the two things I need in your mind as we read through these, because what, the, what God is showing John in the vision is hearkening back to these two things. Now, it's not individual nations under judgment, it's the entire world because of their sin. And what God is gonna do to call the world to repentance is call, well, that's not the right word, it's to cut the legs out from under the gods. You put your trust in economic systems, I'm gonna slice it in half and then the economic systems are turned upside down. How about your God now? You trust in economies, your 401k, your money, you trust in the fact that if you need food, you can go down to Wally World and you get food, you get everything you need, they got all your meat. What happens when shipping shuts down, the price of gas is so high that there is no food in the grocery store? What happens when your government that you put your trust in fails you? What happens when, when, the, when the idols that you've lifted up in Hollywood, when they fail you? What happens when the people on, on the internet, they, they don't have any wisdom or how, they, don't, they don't know what to tell you to think about it? What happens when your gods, what happens when the things that you put all your trust in, the sun that rises up every single morning, what happens when it doesn't rise? What happens if the power is cut and there is no light That's what's gonna start happening across the world. God is gonna challenge the things that this world puts their trust in, and we're gonna see it through the trumpets. So these final days look like Egypt worldwide and its oracles against not just nations, but the entire earth. So let's get to it. Uh, Revelation chapter eight, let's start in verse six. And I'm just gonna read through the end of the chapter to verse 13. Um, you'll find out why in just a second. Uh, but we're gonna read through the first four trumpets. Uh, so uh, buckle up, because it's gonna get weird. I promise you, if you thought Revelation's been weird so far, four living creatures, nothing. Man, we got locust armies today with like crowns on their head and women's hair and scorpion tails. It's gonna get real weird. So, so if you're here for it, man, let's go. I certainly am. Uh, Revelation chapter eight, verse six. It says, now the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to blow them. And the first angel blew his trumpet and therefore, excuse me, and there followed hail and fire mixed with blood. And these were thrown upon the earth and a third of the earth was burned up and a third of the trees were burned up and all of the green grass was burned up. And the second angel blew his trumpet and something like a, not a great mountain, something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea and a third of the sea became blood. And a third of the living creatures in the sea died and a third of the ships that were on the sea commuting 
they were destroyed. And a third angel blew his trumpet, and a great star fell from heaven. It was blazing like a torch, and it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. And the name of that star is Wormwood. A third of the waters became Wormwood. And many people died from the water because it had been made bitter. And the fourth angel blew his trumpet, and a third of the sun was struck, and a third of the moon and a third of the stars so that a third of their light might be darkened, and a third of the day might be kept from shining, and likewise a third of the night. And then I looked and I heard an eagle crying with a loud voice, hey, look, there's America. No, that's, that's not America, okay? That's a classic example of you injecting your interpretation into the text. The eagle is not America. The eagle is an eagle. I heard an eagle, interestingly enough, uh, sidebar. So eagle can actually be translated as eagle or vulture. And do you remember when Jesus was given the um, Olivet Discourse and he was talking about where the corpses gather, the, the vultures are gonna, so, so we've got Jesus talking about death and destruction and the vultures, and then we've got, so it might be vultures, might be. I heard an eagle crying with a loud voice as it flew directly overhead. And what was the eagle saying? Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth at the blast of the other trumpets that the three angels are about to blow. So you thought one through four was tough? Mm-mm, right? nothing on the next angels. So, so what do we have here? Well, the first thing that we have here is a pattern that was established during the seven seals. You've got seven seals split up into four, two, and then one. The first four seem to happen sequentially, maybe even like one right after the, uh, the other, maybe like almost at the same time so quickly together. Then there's this break and you get two more that are increasing and then the final one leads into the, the, the next seven. So this pattern, uh, we saw it in the seals. We'll, we see it here in the trumpets. We won't see that last pattern with the, uh, the bowls because the last one is the last one. There are no ones after that, but there is this break of four, two, one. So that's the first thing that we see. The second thing we see is that the, the symbolism that we've been using to work through the book is most likely still here. This is not the invitation at 8.6 to start flipping the way that we interpret this book and start reading everything literal. Remember, this book is written in a specific genre. It's prophetic and it's apocalyptic. Apocalyptic is kind of a subset of prophecy and it doesn't mean end times, the world is burning. It means revealing. Things that were previously hidden or hard to understand are now out in the open for anyone who wants to receive the interpretation or the understanding. So I wouldn't start reading through this and be like, all right, man, well, one day we're gonna see this eagle and he's gonna be talking to everybody and he's gonna be shouting like, whoa, 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 whoa. No, it's symbolic of other things. And the reason why I say this is because we have to read what's happening on the earth and the initiation of it with this understanding of symbolic, but it has some ties to some literal things in scripture. What I mean is, 
When we're reading through the seven seals, we're told that these horsemen are riding across the earth and they're spreading war and famine. Is it going to be a literal guy on a horse in the sky spreading these things? Probably not. How do we know that? Because that imagery was borrowed from other imagery in Zechariah and it wasn't literal there, it was symbolic there. So symbolism probably means symbolism. Trumpets were a literal thing that declared literal things, but John is seeing a vision of these seven angels blowing these seven trumpets, and there's this symbolic thing that's happening in heaven, but it does seem to have some literal thing happening on earth. So what we're seeing here is that there's initiation in heaven of the lamb doing something through these angels blowing these seven trumpets. Troy, will you cut the air conditioner for me? There is this initiation happening in heaven, but on earth, we start to see, in some sense, some literal manifestation of this. Now, will it literally be, uh, like in the first trumpet, here, here's the first example of this. Um, hail and fire mixed with blood. Do we look at that as literal hail and fire that has been dipped in blood of heaven starting to rain down on earth? Maybe, but maybe not. So what do we do with texts like this and as we move forward? We emphasize not on what's causing the event, we emphasize on the effect of the event. You follow? So we're not focusing on, oh man, what's the giant mountain that's thrown into the sea? Is that like a meteor? Is it like, is it like a kingdom? Because in the Old Testament, kingdoms are described as mountains. God's kingdom is described as a great mountain that crushes others. So is it this flaming version of God's kingdom that comes down and crashes in the sea? That's not what's important. What's important is what happens when these things from heaven start affecting the earth. What happens to earth when these things begin? So, with the trumpet, the hail fire mixed with blood thrown upon the earth is a callback to Exodus 9, 22 through 26. That was an event where God literally rained hail mixed with fire onto the earth. Literally. You gotta pull your livestock in from out, don't let grandpa go on a walk in the evening because hail and fire gonna take him out. You can't, like, this is a literal thing that's happening. So is this literally going to happen across the entire globe? I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility, but it also could be some symbolic sense of, of hail and fire uh, coming down and symbolically having some effect on the earth. What is the effect on the earth? Where we're told that a third of the trees, a third of the earth, and a third of the grass is going to be burned up. So whether this is literally hail and fire or symbolically some impact from heaven that will impact earth, the response or the, the, the byproduct of what, God, of what happens when this trumpet is blown is that a third of the trees, a third of the earth, a third of the grass is burned up. Well, what does... What does the, the earth and the trees and the grass symbolize? What do those stand in for? Will those things literally be hit or are those symbolic for something else? Well, in the same sense that when God punished Egypt and he's punishing the earth, it probably literally will be earth, trees, and grass, but it's more than that. 
It's not less than that, but it's certainly more than that. Here's what I mean by that. What comes out of the earth? Food. If you're a vegetarian, it's all your food. Grass, what does grass do? Grass feeds the other animals that those of us who are not vegetarians eat. Trees, what do trees produce? Paper, oxygen. So what, is, what happens when the first angel blows his trumpet? Some of the base things on planet Earth that we use to survive start getting destroyed. Not in a massive scale. It's not 100% of the trees being destroyed. It's not even half, it's a third. A large portion of the things that we trust in for our daily lives starts being destroyed. Why? Why is that happening? Because humanity loves trusting in these systems and the lamb wants humanity's trust over the systems. When you start trusting these systems to be there for you, rather than trusting your God to supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory, he absolutely 100% will start challenging those gods that you have set up above him to bring more comfort and trust than he can provide. That's what we're seeing here. Now, little side note, Revelation chapter seven, verses one through three told us that before the wind started blowing on the earth and the trees and the seas, the angel came down from heaven with a stamp and marked and sealed God's people with a seal so that none of these things would affect God's people. So I want you to picture what this probably looks like on planet earth. When food supplies, and travel, and our industry starts getting disrupted, and everybody's in chaos except for one group of people. There's one group of people who say they follow Jesus Christ, and none of the things that are happening on earth seem to be affecting them. What kind of witness do you think that would create? Well, it'll do one of two things. It will either create some curiosity. Hey, can I, uh, can I ask you a question? Um, why is it that you still have food? How is it that the things that are happening on the earth are not affecting you? Uh, also, this happened back in the Exodus 2. The people of Israel lived in a land called Goshen just outside of the main city, and when God was just ravishing Egypt with all of these plagues, the people of God, they were untouched. Same thing is happening here. The people of God are sealed and these judgments don't touch them because they're not for God's people. They're a way to call the nations into repentance. Stop trusting in the trees and the earth and the grass and surrender to the lamb. That's what's happening. Then we get into trumpet two. A burning mountain is thrown into the sea. This is a callback to Exodus 7, 14 through 24. When, when the first plague hits, the Nile River is turned into blood. Now is this burning mountain, is this an actual mountain, a meteor? A, is it a volcano? Is it symbolic of God's kingdom crashing? As I said before, it doesn't really matter what the mountain is, but what it does, it disrupts all, or, or it disrupts a third of the Earth's oceans. It kills fish, it stops shipping, vacations are disrupted because no one wants to go see the beautiful bloody ocean. 
everything that we take comfort in, everything we find peace in, being able to go to the market and know that there's fish there that we can purchase, being able to enjoy taking our boat out to go, it's, it's not a thing. All of it is being challenged because we want it more than we want our own creator. We are elevating creation and the benefits of trusting our own systems that we have created over the God who created us to create those systems. Trumpet three, a great star named Wormwood poisoned the water. This is also a call back to Exodus 7, 14 through 24 of the Nile being poisoned with blood. But it's not just salt water in the seas, it's the fresh water too. Now there's a lot of speculation about wormwood is, but I think the easiest way to explain it is what it is. Wormwood was a plant native to the Middle East that when you ate it, it was bitter. And if you mix it in with water, it could actually be poisonous to the point where it would kill you. You don't wanna drink tea made with wormwood. Wormwood isn't a wood, it's a plant. And it makes things bitter. And the reason why this thing, this star that fell out of the sky was named Wormwood is because of what it did when it hit Earth. Now, mankind has this infatuation with reading the Bible and thinking it's cute to take little things from it and, and like, oh, well, this is a, you know, like maybe this is kind of, so I wouldn't be surprised if a meteor is on a trajectory to hit Earth and some scientist thinks it's funny to name it Wormwood. I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility, but I don't think you should read it that literally. But I wouldn't be surprised. But this thing hits Earth and it starts poisoning a third of the fresh water supplies. Well, what does that mean? Well, that, that is the most basic drinking water that we need, even the most basic things we need to survive. Drinking water, just fresh water is poisoned. Everything that you would put your trust in for this creation is starting to get shaken by the lamb. So at this point, you're thinking, okay, if you're part of mankind, you don't trust the lamb, you're just like, man, things are getting really rough. I wonder what's going on. Things are crazy, but it's not everything's crazy. Only a third of things are crazy. But you know what? At least the sun's gonna come up tomorrow. You know, at least things will still be okay. And then we're told that a, another trumpet is blown for a third of the sun, the moon, and the stars go dark. This is a call back to Exodus 10, 21 through 27, when God cursed Egypt with darkness. Now I'm not talking about just like no electricity. I want you to imagine like dark darkness. I don't know if you've ever been to like the Mariana Caverns and like been on a tour and at the end of the tour, they're just like, all right, we're gonna turn all the lights off. That's dark. Right, not like walking outside when the stars are out, not camping and you forget your flashlight. Like we're talking dark, dark. There is nothing. And, and I think what God is demonstrating here, if you read it in light of, of the Exodus account, like even the light that, that is there, it, like you can make a fire, but it doesn't give light. How does that work? I don't know. But what God is demonstrating is his authority over light. Like, think about that. That's something that we just kind of assumed, like, it just works. You turn on a light bulb, it works. When the sun comes up, like, it's just gonna shine light on stuff. Well, what happens when that thing that you can trust in, that you haven't even really ever thought about how it works, what happens when that thing stops working? 
What happens when a third of the stars, gone, third of the moon, gone, third of the sun stops shining and a third of the day is darkness? And not just darkness like it is at night, darkness where literally light is robbed from you and you can't see where you're going. Can you see how these things are starting to progress in severity? The trumpets are a wake-up call for the nations. Stop trusting creation, trust the creator. And at the very end of this in 13, we see this angel, or excuse me, this eagle, fly overhead and starts pronouncing these series of woes that, all right, planet Earth, um, the Lord has robbed you of your stability in sun and uh, fresh water and food to eat at the grocery store and shipping is a mess and economies are upside down. Uh, like literally all creation is a mess. Will you trust me now? Will you trust the one who has authority and power over this? Look at my people, they're untouched by this. Don't you wanna be a part of this team? We're told that an angel flies, or an angel, an eagle flies overhead and says, um, what you've seen coming so far is nothing compared to what's coming because in, in all of God exercising his authority, the nations still rebel. They still say, no, no, I don't want you. And they look at God in issuing these things and they say, well, like, why would I wanna serve a God who would do this? And it stirs inside of them even, even more anger. How dare you? Don't you know I'm a good person? How could you do this to a good person? And the lamb's like, no, you don't understand. You're under my wrath and all you have to do is just come out from under it. Like you don't have to keep doing, just, just come out, just come out from under it. Just repent, just turn from your ways. Stop building your own kingdom. Stop trusting in these nations. Stop believing everything that, every, that somebody wants to sell you to make money off of you. And, and like, stop trusting. Stop trusting and, and, and believing that, that, that your own might is gonna save you. Just come out from under that. And there's salvation for this. But the nations, they don't want it. The nations look and they're like, no. No, I wanna keep, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure we can solve these problems. This, this sun thing, no, this is, uh, this is because uh, this is a global warming issue. This, 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 this problem with the oceans, fresh water, we cause this and we can solve this. This isn't God doing it, this is us doing it. And we can fix it. Just vote me in the office and I will fix your problems. Does this sound familiar? This is what's happening on earth. So what happens next? Well, the nations, don't, they don't just start turning to creation, they start turning to idols. They start turning to like demons, false gods, to, to fulfill whatever needs to be fulfilled. And God says, I'm gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna destroy those too. You want to serve creation? You want to serve a false God? You wanna serve demons who are masquerading as God? You wanna follow antichrist and antichrists? Let me show you what it's like to follow those who promise peace but are dark deep within. Go to verse one of chapter nine. It says, the fifth angel blew his trumpet and I saw a star fallen from heaven. Important, that's past tense. So this star had already fallen from heaven. It's now doing something. So the star isn't falling and then doing something. It had already fallen. I saw a star fallen from heaven to earth and he was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. Well, that doesn't sound good. 
He opened the shaft of the bottomless pit, and from the shaft rose smoke like the smoke of a great furnace, and the sun and the air were darkened with the smoke from the shaft. And then from the smoke came locusts on the earth, and they were given power like the power of scorpions on the earth. And they were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any green plant or tree, but only those people who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. They were allowed to torment them for five months, but not kill them. Their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings someone. And in those days, people will seek death, but they will not find it. They will long to die, but death will flee from them. And the appearance of the locusts were like horses prepared for battle. And on their heads were what looked like crowns of gold, and their faces were like human faces. And their hair like women's hair, and their teeth like lion's teeth, and they had breastplates like breastplates of iron, and the noise of their wings was like the noise of many chariots with horses rushing into battle. They have tails and stings like scorpions, and their power to hurt people for five months is in their tails. And they have as king over them, the angel of the bottomless pit. And his name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in Greek his name is Apollyon. Both of those words basically just mean destroyer. The first woe has passed, but behold, two woes are still to come. I don't know about you, but one woe seems enough. (laughs) Now there are many interpretations of what's going on in this trumpet. Is John seeing Apache attack helicopters? Is he seeing some, is, is this like a first century way of trying to describe modern technology? I think that that is probably reading too much into the text and it would be, it would be guilty of trying to inject your symbolism and understanding into things. I'm not saying it's not, I'm just saying that what we're reading here can be interpreted by the text. So let's do that. Let's look at what's being Um, uh, given here by uh, John. We're told that when the fifth trumpet blows, a key was given to a star that had fallen from heaven. Now we studied in our Isaiah series, Isaiah 14, 12, that there uh, there was a prophecy against a nation, an oracle against a nation, Uh, And the oracle was taunting the king of this nation, talking about how he was kind of like another leader who at one time tried to rebel against God and was kicked out of heaven and was cast to heaven like a star that was cast out of the sky. Most interpreters will tell us that that story is alluding back to the history of Satan himself, the fallen angel. And so what we have here is John telling us, hey, you guys remember back in Isaiah, the the star that was fallen? You remember him? You remember his name? Yeah, we remember his name. We know who we're talking about. We're talking about Satan. Well, in the fifth trumpet, Satan is given authority. He's given a key to the bottomless pit. Now, who holds that key? Jesus. He's got the keys of death and Hades. 
Well, that key is given to him on loan to Satan in order to let loose a demonic horde on the earth to bring suffering to mankind for a very short fixed period of time, five months. That's what's happening here. We're looking at John describing the flood of demonic activity that will take over the world just before the end when Jesus returns. And the Lord allows it, and it brings torment but not death. These locusts are demons. They're not tanks, they're not Apaches, they're not modern warfare tactics, or it's not a first century guy trying to describe it. What the text is describing to us is Satan letting loose a horde of demonic, satanic demons on the earth for the purpose of tormenting mankind. And they're described in such a way to communicate to us the things about them. They have crowns which symbolize their power. They have human faces which symbolize their intellect. They have armor which symbolize the fact that they can't be stopped. They have tails which symbolize their suffering. And we're told that they're organized under a demonic king named Abaddon or Apollyon. Now that may be some demonic figure, it may be Satan himself, it might just be a symbolic way of John describing that. But when we read this, it should be shocking to you that God would let loose a demonic horde across his own creation in order to inflict punishment on mankind. Why in the world would he do that? He would do that to reveal the foolishness of worshiping demons. That's why he would do that. There's precedent for this in Romans chapter one. When when Paul is describing probably post Tower of Babel, how far mankind had fallen and how much they wanted in their heart to worship anything but the God who created them. I'll worship water and trees and wooden idols. I'll worship demons. I'll, wash, I'll, I'll worship horror films, I'll, wor- I'll, I'll, I'll worship like, like, like anything scary. I am full on in on darkness. The darker, the better. You give me a 10 episode season, I will binge it in one weekend. I can't get enough of that stuff, I love it. God says, let me show you what it's like when you give yourselves to these things in authority. So this, look, this is shocking. We're like, man, why would you do this? And God is saying, why wouldn't I do this? This is going to be all eternity if they don't turn to me. Why wouldn't I let them have a taste if that's really what they want? I want them to see what it looks like because because sin comes so pretty. Come and do, it will satisfy the flesh. Do this thing, you'll feel so good. But what do you feel like when when it's done? You feel tormented. Why? Because there's a force behind that, fueling it. 
There's a reason why all the promises of addiction only lead to more addiction. There's a reason why when you have the desire to have an affair on your wife, it doesn't ever lead to a happy rom-com atmosphere or, or, or ending. It ends to total destruction. It ends with your kids resenting you. It ends with a messy divorce. That's what it, so when the enemy comes, it's like, come and just taste this. Try this thing. You know, I'll give it a shot. It seems like you would. No, the Lord is saying, I'm gonna allow Satan to release the full horde of his armies to let the nations understand what's on the line and what will happen if you give yourself over to the dragon. Following the dragon sounds awesome. I don't wanna be on team lamb, I wanna follow the dragon. I wanna be on team dragon, right? He breathes fire and he's got these claws, but what dragon doesn't tell you is that those claws are meant for you. And then he breathes fire on you and then he torments you and then he sends these demons with these tails like scorpions who just strike you with suffering and you're in depression and it's no fun. That's what the Lord is doing with this horde. He's in his mercy and his grace, allowing the nations to see what happens when they put their trust in Antichrist and the dragon and the beast and his false prophet. There is not freedom, there is only suffering. Let's go to verse 13. This is when the sixth angel blew his trumpet, I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar before God saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. Oh man, did you know there were four angels that are bound at the great river Euphrates? I didn't. I didn't know there were four angels that were like there, like hey, don't, do not move. You are not allowed to move. Sit in time out until the Lord says that you can come do your thing. But there's four angels. Not angel angels, fallen angels, demonic angels. God's angels aren't bound. They're told to go, restrict, but they're not bound. This is, these are fallen angels and they're sitting over here beyond the river of Euphrates and they're just waiting for the Lord to give them permission to do something on the earth. And the four angels who had been prepared for the hour, the day, the month, and the year were released to kill a third of all mankind. And the number of the mounted troops that these angels controlled were twice 10,000 times 10,000. I heard their number. And this is how I saw the horses of this army in my vision. And those who rode them, they wore breastplates the color of fire and of sapphire and of sulfur. And the heads of the horses were like lion's heads and fire and smoke and sulfur came out of their mouths. And these three plagues, the fire, the smoke and the sulfur, a third of mankind was killed by them, by the fire and the smoke and the sulfur that came out of their mouths. For the power of the horses is in their mouths and in their tails, for their tails are like serpents with heads, and by means of them they wound. So there are four angels, fallen demonic angels, who are bound at Euphrates, and we're told that they are prepared for this time, and they have authority over armies. Now this, if we're keeping with the symbolic nature of this, what's probably taking place is along the lines of what Paul tells us when he re reminds us that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, 
but against demonic spirits, principalities, powers. We're thinking about Daniel chapter 10 when Daniel is praying and the archangel Michael comes to him and says, I'm sorry, man, I've been, I've been on my way towards you the moment you started praying, but I was caught up with the prince of Persia. There was demonic warfare that I was fighting with. There, in the kingdom of darkness, there are hierarchies of authority. There are low-level demons, there are mid-level guys, there are principalities that have authority over entire nation groups. And I think what we're seeing here is a, a call to that understanding in John's mind, that there are some fallen angels who have garnered enough authority in order to influence not just individual people and torment humans, but actually structure entire nations. To whisper in the ear of leaders, you should build an army. You know what, guys? I should build an army. I should build like a 200 man, 200 million man army. And we're gonna go to war. I think what's happening here is John is communicating in symbolic vision sense that this trumpet releases a physical human army that is under the control of demonic fallen angels. What does that say to us? It says, don't trust the nations because they might be under demonic control. This goes back to what Isaiah was saying when he was communicating the oracles to the nations. Don't trust Tyre. Don't trust Babylon. Don't trust Assyria. Don't trust them. Don't you know that I have set them up for destru destruction? I've actually let them be influenced by darkness. They're, don't put your trust in darkness. Don't trust idols and demon worship. Don't trust creation. And don't trust the economic or governmental structures that man has put in place because from the history of the world, the kingdom of darkness likes to play with the hearts of men. And he, they send men to war to die. The Lamb is declaring through the trumpets that everything that we traditionally put our trust in is shaken. Mankind, you want sovereign power? Okay, I'm gonna shake the earth to see if you can handle it. You wanna, you wanna go your own way? You wanna do your own thing? You wanna be your own man? What happens when, when, when you can't put gas in your car? What happens, my own man, when you don't have a job? What happens when you can't buy groceries for your family? How sovereign are you when you can't even pay your mortgage? But it doesn't stop there, it continues to escalate. Those of you who trust in creation, in systems, in shipping, in government, in exploration, in technology, what happens when that stuff is robbed from you? You, wanna, you, you want that stuff to rule over you? What happens when it has no power? What happens when, it, when your gods have been robbed of their power? Will you, turn to, will you turn to false gods? Will you start praying to false gods? Oh, you know, God, it hasn't rained in a little while and I need some rain on my field, so, so God, please just send your rain. And I don't really care what God I'm praying to, just like any of them out there will hear me. I don't believe that there's one true God. I'll just, anybody who will answer my prayer, you start getting caught up in demonic worship invitations. 
And you start sacrificing, maybe not human sacrifice your children, but you sacrifice your children at the expense of your job. Your job becomes a demonic idol because you want to spend more time pleasing it than being with your family. And who gets sacrificed? Your children and your wife. Most of us aren't walking around plunging a knife into the hearts of our families, but we are in a way guilty of worshiping other things to the point where we turn our back on the things God's commanded us to obey. And so God says in his mercy, I'm gonna, you, you wanna worship like that? I'm gonna show you what the end game of that is. This is what happens when you go there. Well, 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 well at least my country won't fail me. Well, what happens when your country comes knocking at your door and they wanna arrest you because of what you believe in? What happens when your country is under the influence of demonic forces? What happens when your country has bloodlust and all it wants is more land and not to care for its people like it promised you it would? What happens when that politician doesn't fulfill its promise and you find out that all he wanted was more power? So here's the question. When God releases these six trumpets on the earth, what does mankind do? Do they repent? Do they turn from their sin? Is God's act of mercy and grace enough for them to say, I, I can't live like this anymore. I, everything I put my trust in, it fails. So I, I gotta put my trust in the lamb because he's the only one who hasn't failed. His people are the only ones who aren't failing. I gotta trust the lamb. Is that what they do? Go to verse 20. This is the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands nor give up worshiping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood, which cannot see or hear or walk, nor did they repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their theft. Did the nations repent when God gave them what they asked for, no. They doubled down on more of the world systems and they turned more back into idol worship and sexual immorality. They chose more slavery over the lamb. And my question is why? Why in the world, when you are confronted with what reality is, when you worship something besides the lamb, why would you not turn? I got two reasons that I've seen in 20 years of ministry. The first one, is that when you worship idols, you become like those idols. What does that mean? Psalm 115 verses six through eight says that those who make idols become like their idols. Idols don't have eyes, they can't, they can't see, they don't have ears, they can't hear, they don't have hands, they can't touch, they don't have feet, they can't walk, and those who make them become like them, and those who worship them become like them. What is the psalmist saying? He's saying that when you fix your affection on idols, you become like what you worship. When you worship your phone, you become a wealth of information that is absence of, uh, of, of empathy. You have the answer for everything and no compassion. You are just one more post and a long line on Facebook. When you worship the things of this world, you become like them. 
You worship things that can't see and you can't see. So what happens to the nations? Where they're so drunk and blind and deaf from worshiping idols, they become like that when the Lord says, let me give you some truth. They can't see the truth, they can't hear the truth. And the other reason, so that's the first one, when, when, when you worship idols, you become like the idols. That's one of the reasons why the nations don't turn. And the second reason is because the more you walk in darkness, the more you love the darkness. You love what you spend your time with. You think about it in the, in the small microcosm of high school. You guys remember high school? Oof, what a terrible time. For some of you, it was like, this is the best time of my life. I'm still living like I'm in high school. For some of you, it's like, oh, it was the worst. But you, you think about it. When someone wants to get in the in crowd, what do they do? When they idolize this group of people, they start dressing like them, they start talking like them, they start becoming like what they worship. And the more they surround themselves with it, they can't get out of it. They start going to more parties, they start surrounding themselves with these things, and all of a sudden, that's all that comes out of their mouth because the more you surround yourself with darkness, that's all that starts coming out. The more you are around it, the more you're in it, the more you're saturated by it. This comes from John 3, 3:19 when it says that the world was confronted with the light, but they didn't want the light because they loved the darkness too much. So what does, what does Revelation 8 and 9 communicate to us in light of an entire earth who is confronted with the foolishness of worshiping creation over the creator, but still wants to worship creation? What does that tell us? It pushes the button on urgency for us. It tells us that if this world, if your neighbors, if your coworkers, if your loved ones continue to walk in darkness, it isn't gonna get better, it's gonna get more dark. If they continue walking the path of idol worship and trusting in the news or the nations, it's not gonna get better unless the lamb intervenes with the good news, it will only compound and get worse. What does that mean for the people of God who have the message of salvation? That we have to start sharing the message of salvation. This chapter, if it does nothing else, it shocks us into realizing that there, there is never a better time to share the gospel than right now. No, hear me, there is never a better time to share the gospel with your neighbors, with your friends, with your family than right now because tomorrow, if they stay in darkness, it's not gonna get lighter, they're not gonna get better. They're gonna want more drugs and more caffeine. They're gonna want stronger medicine that will dumb or, or dumb down and, and numb whatever it is they're trying to hide. N things are not gonna progressively get better and so you can't wait a month from now to share the good news. Right now is the best time because we are told from the word of God that sin doesn't stop. It keeps consuming and it wants more and more and more. And if you love your neighbors, if you love your enemy like Jesus told us we're supposed to, then today is the day to preach the gospel. Let's pray. Hello again, it's Pastor Marshall, and I just wanted to say thank you for listening to this message. If you want to hear other messages or maybe find out more about our church, you can visit redhillschurch.com. From there, you'll find links to our social media pages, message archive, and ways you can support the ministry work. Thanks again for spending time with us, and God bless.